Welcome to FSP Talks, brought to you by the Society of FSP and FSP Go. Hello and welcome to FSP Talks, a new podcast series brought to you by the Society of FSP and FSPGo.com. I'm David Mayola, CEO of FSP, and I'll be your host. FSP Talks will bring together influential leaders in the financial services industry to discuss their careers, leadership, and business. With us today, we're very lucky to have Cheryl Hickerson, CEO of Females and Finance, an international speaker on social and digital marketing strategies for financial service organizations. Cheryl has worked with thousands of professionals to grow the presence of the financial services profession through online platforms. In 2018, Cheryl started Females and Finance, a private online membership organization dedicated to fostering recruitment training, and advancement of women in a financial service or a financial technology role. Membership today recently crested at 2,900 professionals with no signs of letting up. After 30 years in financial services, Cheryl has dedicated her professional life to promoting better networking and diversity initiatives within her community. Cheryl, why don't you say hello to everybody? Hello there. I'm excited. (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, let's get started. Um, I I guess the first thing we should do is uh, just tell us a little bit uh, about your organization, Females in Finance, and how that got started, and uh, anything else you want to say about it. Wonderful. My favorite topic. Favorite topic. So Females in Finance was actually started because I am a professional speaker on social and digital marketing strategies for financial service professionals, and I kept going to events, and when I was standing on a podium or behind a lectern and looking out, a lot of the professionals tend to look what we would expect, middle to older age white men, not a lot of women, definitely not a lot of people of color, and yet if somebody were to pick up the phone and say, hey, Cheryl, I need somebody for fill in the blank." The professionals that I was going to were those diverse candidates. So clearly we had a disconnect. And so I think I was much like other people where we were kind of waiting for someone to ripple the pond, like, oh, that's somebody else's job. And then one day I realized, I think it's my job. And it was a very (laughs) cavalier thought. But I went into this honestly with the only intention of, well, if I could get together 200 people, there's no magic to that number, by the way. It was just some made-up number in my head. But if I had 200 people, I could start there. And in eight days, just picking up the phone and calling and saying, I think I want to build a better community of professionals. Will you come along and help me do that? Uh, We were there. Today, we're um, 2,984 members. And I always know my number because every person counts when you're in a mission-oriented work. And we're, uh, we're excited about the future of building just better, more abundance-minded professionals as we go forward, especially after a global pandemic. Hey, listen, why not you, right? You might, if nobody else is going to jump in and do it, just do it yourself. Um, well, Cheryl, let me ask you. Uh, Clearly, there are skills needed to be effective in business, to be an effective business leader, whether you're a a man or a woman. I don't think that particularly matters. What do you see as the key skills needed to be an effective leader in, in business? Yeah, I would definitely say that what has served me well in a membership community environment, one is empathy. So seeing other individuals exactly where they're at and 
moving in a direction that is purposeful to that one person as well as whatever your larger mission is. But I also will say that that comes with, you know, you have to have pretty strong organizational thoughts and ideas and structure. And then you also have to have diplomacy because when you're managing 3,000 different personalities, <laughs> you, you have to, to, to be able to see that tree for the forest quite often, more often than not. So those are what have well, you me well. I think you just hit on several um, qualities of emotional intelligence as well, empathy being one of them. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and what do you think uh, – what skills or characteristics do you think are unique to women that they bring to a leadership position? Um, I would say that definitely the impasse part of overgeneralizing, of course, because depending on how someone identifies, but women have a tendency to, to see personal currency before actual, uh, you know, financial currency. So what that means is when they are meeting with families or individuals, businesses, they're, they're oftentimes asking the questions that are beyond the scope of what maybe the financial matters are at hand. When I'm meeting with people and they start off talking about grandchildren or mission work or how much they vacation, et cetera, I'm picking up a lot of the cues in the personal currency that drives the person. And I think women, traditionally speaking, uh, do that well. And I think that they naturally have a desire to build commonalities. Like we're looking for that anyway on a human level. But I do think that if you, uh, you know, when I asked my children reflectively at a Thanksgiving many years ago, my son, Justin's 32, and I said, you know, what was the best thing I ever did as a mom? And he said, you always had drinks for everybody at baseball practice. And that's because <laughs> I kind of saw everybody there. That's the, that was the, for him, the currency in that was that he had a mom who was willing to bring something for everyone when he knew that there were cer certain family members or moms that maybe or fathers that couldn't. So I think that mm -hmm. women bring that skill set, a little bit of that sistering or that nurturing to the practice of financial services as well. Uh -huh. Is there is there something specific that you could point to uh, that helped prepare you to be a leader or a better leader? Mm, I would say that my my father used to call me Little Miss Ray of Sunshine. I think it's because I kind of have Groundhog Day effect where I can get up every day and say, you know, hi, I'm here. I'd completely forgotten <laughs> that everything bad may have happened yesterday, and I sort of start <laughs> and, and forge that new day ahead on that. But I have a general desire to help others. Like, it's, it's just part of my DNA, and I think that that's helped me throughout my career path because I found that along the way, although I was working like anyone else and wanting to advance themselves, I had no problem reaching my arm back and pulling somebody along saying, come on, you're coming with me and helping pull mm -hmm. them through too. Mm -hmm. so I think that's been my most helpful part. Do you have um, any role models that you specifically can think of or look to mm -hmm. uh, that helps shape your leadership style? I would say that it, when somebody asks me that question, I always, the first image that comes to mind is Judy Hoberman. Judy is a sales and marketing business strategist, and she's written several books, Selling in a Skirt, Walking on the Glass Floor. Judy is like this epitome of just this exceptional 
leadership, like everything I desire to in to be um, and aspire to be, uh, I I would look to Judy and be like, man, I wish I could do that more the way she does that. And I'm fortunate enough that she's somebody very close to me, and she's like my family I met along the way. So she's always my go-to. I was just uh, you just answered my next question, which was, have you ever met her? Reached out to her? That's, that's very yeah. Do you know I. I actually, I didn't know her for the longest time. I had read a book of hers. And then how I happened upon meeting her was that we shared the same life coach in Doreen Rainey. And we showed up in a group meeting and I was like, oh, there's that woman I've been following all these years. And I reached (laughs) out and it's kind of back a little bit pre, you know, where it's a lot more natural in social media today. Be like, hey, I don't know you, but we're going to be friends. Uh, that back in the day, it seemed a little more stalkerish. It's a little less so today, <laughs> but you know, yeah. she was so open to, yeah, let's talk. And I did. And, and, uh, we were friends by, I would say online friends for at least two, three years before I went to Dallas. I actually flew to Dallas and met her and that was the rest of history. Well, and, and that's that. That brings to mind another question, which is, um, and you just touched on it, which is networking. So clearly, uh, you took that opportunity to network, and uh, it paid off. Are there other examples where where you you've used networking? And is there any advice you can give? Not everybody is as good as as everybody else when it comes to networking. And uh, is there any advice you have, or how that's helped you? Yeah, I would say that the first thing is is that a lot of people use that idea of networking and I have air quotes for those listening and I don't network. What I do is I have a very simple, simple method of something I created for myself years and years ago before people like wrote books and did all of this stuff. I'm, I'm, I tell people I'm, I'm qualified to say I'm old in this business. I have nine grandchildren. And <laughs> what I decided was I follow what's called my own called the REACH method. And REACH stands for Relationships, Engagement, Authenticity, Community, and Health. And what that means is that I build relationships along the way. I engage with others in a much more meaningful, impactful way. I'm always authentic. So what you hear right now on the phone is really me. It's who you get. I am a community builder. I draw people in. And health means that I I care about you all the way into the nitty-grittiness of who you are, even at the, the core of your health. I want to see people do well. When you do those five things, you're not networking. You are literally building something so much more impactful long-term that's sustainable than going to an event and hanging out and talking to somebody for a few minutes, which we depended on in in-person events. Now today in the online can even be increasingly more difficult uh, depending on what you lack as far as, you know, technology and such. So I think that if you've got to figure out what is your most uh, authentic way to show up, and then do that. Build those relationships from those core. Engage with them and check your energy along the way. Be yourself. Draw people in and then care about them all the way to the point of really asking them, not just how you doing, but really how are you doing and, and know the answer to that. So, and, and, and one of the points that you just made, I think, is so true, which is being authentic, right? It, you can only pretend to be somebody else for some period of time. It never works. And if you're, not, if you're not being yourself, 
eventually that's going to come through and you're going to be found out, right? So it always pays oh, off so true. in any kind of situation like that to just be yourself. And not everybody will like that, but that's okay. You know, I have to tell you a quick funny story on that. I lived, in, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And when I was 19, I got in a car by myself and drove to San Francisco. And for some reason, I had it set that I was going to live in California and I was going to do my own Mary Tyler Moore that really dates me too, but I was going to make it. And, you know, um, I remembered I, I got a job at an insurance firm. It's actually how I got my start in financial services. But we had gone to this very fancy dinner. And just so everybody on the call understands, fancy to me growing up was we went to Red Lobster once a month. <laughs> um, we got dressed up for that. And so here I was at this dinner that had like 17 pieces of silverware on the table. And I sat down and I tried to fake it till I could make it. And you know how far I made it? I made it to the very first course of meal came and I finally looked up and said, I don't know what any of this stuff is. I'm used to having like a fork. <laughs> and a knife and maybe a spoon and do you know the best answer that came some other person at the table said i don't either i just use this i don't use this stuff at home i was like oh and it really just kind of diffused the the angst and what i was Mm -hmm. most proud of in that moment was just being myself just being who i am it's worked well well. and i think people people appreciate that right they they, because that that then gives them the permission to be themselves when they see that that's what you're doing and uh, so that's great. Um, well, let me ask you, uh, when obviously, you know, you've done a lot in your career, did you have a specific goal uh, when you started this career path? Did you envision organizing this, this organization or did you have some kind of vision for your career? You know, I didn't. I tell everybody when I first started in financial services because I faxed my resume to the wrong number. And an insurance company called and said, I think you're looking for something else. We're hiring. Would you like to come in? I was like, yeah. But I will tell you that you can find your purpose. You can create purpose in the most unbelievable moments. And it wasn't until I was working with an insured who had a claim and I was helping them get to the paperwork and how thankful they were that somebody like me took the time to care enough to help them, you know, get to, you know, get to the end result, which was getting their check-in and stuff. And I really, I remembered in that moment thinking, we make a difference in what we do with financial services. Like this, when people call and ask, am I going to be okay? That's our, our jobs to have an answer for such a simple question. And so mm-hmm. at that exact point would be where I started getting a little bit like the door opened up to, in my career path of this is the way you need to go. This is, this is the job for you. One of the number one questions I've been asked has been, why do I stay in financial services and marketing when I could be out doing Red Bull or I could be out? Doing, and I said, because uh, going back to that very first time the door opened up, am I going to be okay? We need people to, to help us provide you know, directions and marketing and understanding of how to get to everyday people to answer those questions. So uh, it's, it's been, it's been such a pleasure to do what I do. And I love my job. I get up every day and I love it. It sounds obviously sounds like it. Um, so what about uh, all of us make personal choices and sacrifices in our lives and uh, for work and family and so forth. 
what personal choices did you have to make uh, in order to reach a leadership position and, and, and do what you've done? I would say that the first thing that I did was I always invested in my learning. So one of the things that I made very clear to my children, I have five children, two of which I fostered um, and adopted. So I have five kids. And so being, you know, having five children in the span of a 10-year period of time, I was pretty busy. But I remember sitting my children down and I told them, I don't sacrifice so that our family has something. I said, you're not going to hear the word sacrifice in our family ever. We invest in this household. So I'm choosing to invest in my learning, and I want you to invest in yourselves with your learning, and we're all going to be supportive of each other to do that. And although it sounds a little bit like woo-woo and, and, and a little bit uh, you know, out there, it's, it's the truth. It's just changing the language of that to being an investment. You're not sacrificing anything. I invested in learning. So every time an opportunity came up to learn how to do something, I don't care if it was I took a uh, maybe a pre-CFP um, class or I took a uh, – I even took claims classes, things that maybe were outside of my stuff. I took those opportunities to invest in myself because later on, that incremental learning opportunities, they paid off big time because I was able to sit in a room with lots of people. And I may not have known a lot about a particular topic, but I knew enough that I could be a part of the conversation. So the investment in learning was really critical. That's, that's very, that, that's interesting. Um, what about, let's talk about uh, barriers, especially as a woman. Uh, have mm -hmm. there been any significant barriers to you uh, being a leader? I would say that sometimes it's easy to say, oh, men have been in my way to do that and vice versa. There's probably some, some women out there, too, who kind of helped me back. But I think that the most significant barrier for, for me would have been I, confidence. I wish my mindset had been a little bit more confident earlier on. One of the things that I wish that I had taught I had been taught and, and then subsequently would have taught my children sooner was learning how to stand in my truth or stand in my moment, even if it means you have to stand out there for a really long time. Sometimes I do mission-oriented work today in a membership environment such as females in finance. I had to stand out there uncomfortably so because I rippled that pond and people don't like change. So I had to be able to be very uncomfortable and stand there it's kind of like Elf in the movie where he says, I'm singing, I'm singing. <laughs> and you got to stand out there and just sing. And so I think that that was my biggest barrier was, was the lack of the ability to stand uncomfortably by myself huh. and the confidence behind that. So now clearly you've developed. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's really interesting given what you've done. So clearly over time you've developed that, that sense of confidence, at least to those of us looking at you from the outside. Yeah. But do yeah. you feel different from the inside? Do you feel like you have different and better confidence now than you used to? I'm still a terrible singer. But outside of that, <laughs> uh, no, I think, yeah, I do think that I am better about it. Part of it, I'm going to be perfectly honest, as I've aged and, and my children have grown and I have become a grandmother and there is a sense of calm that you reach after a certain point, I feel like, in age that it sort of gives you permission uh, to, to do that. And so 
I, I'm grateful for to be able to have the time to have been able to do that. But along the way, too, I'm very, very thankful for other professionals who saw something special in me that said, that one, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a little time help finessing that one. I'm going to help, you know, soften the edges around that one. And, and I remember the, when I got my job in financial services, I asked the gentleman who hired me, who, by the way, is still my mentor, 31 hmm. years later, still my mentor to this very day. I asked Robert why he hired me. And he said, because you were curious and I can't teach that. He said, hmm. you would come in and you would actually read things and be like, well, why is this that? And that I can't teach. So I think that that was uh, very, very important to the success that I had and in, in the mind, creating a better mindset to where I'm at now. Now it's just old age. And I'm like, yeah, I'm old. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> old age. Is there, do you have a perspective? You work with a lot of things. Uh, do you have a perspective? on why 2020, there's still a lack of women in positions um, yeah. in financial services. Yeah, and I and a lot of this is uh, from an unconscious bias perspective. So for every person listening, it is not – you have an unconscious bias. We all do. Part of it is to keep us safe because as we're born – we're taught, you know, you look for this or you see this and you've got, and so part of it, we have to unlearn and retrain our brain how to behave. So we keep getting a lot more of the same because we keep going out looking for people who look like us or behave like us. So that unconscious bias part is really what's um, holding some of it from that perspective. And vice versa, it's also on the other side of it because nothing, it, you know, life is balanced. There are harmony, as Andre Fraser always says, which I love. There's, there's harmony to it. And the other side that harmonizes that is the, the confidence part of it or the mindset. We actually have to actively, proactively go after these C-level positions too. One of my friends, Minda Hart, she's the author of the memo, she talks about putting yourself out there to get into those C-suite level. Or you hear Carla Harris say, you know, getting a sponsor in the room to talk about that. So that's where the harmony comes in because it's on both sides of it. We have to stress and challenge our unconscious bias as much as we, from the other side of it, have to change our perspective and our confidence, bar you know, the barriers to those things to go after those opportunities. And somewhere in the middle of that harmony is where we see a meeting of the C-level position being met. Mm -hmm. You started to go into uh, answering my next question, but uh, let me ask it anyway. It might uh, give you some other ideas. But how about what advice uh, would you share with young women who are entering uh, these professions that are still so male-dominated? Yeah. One, you can't – you should join organizations that believe in saving dolphins while not killing whales. What I mean by that is you, in order for us to have momentum in a male-dominated profession, we need men to help provide some of that, some of that, that fluidity, that, that, that movement. And so at females in finance, we do have, and we put a big, um, you know, focus on the male ally network or the man initiative, we like to call it to provide, help provide some of that. And I think that young women going back to my own, when I was a young woman, 
stay the course. Keep singing. Just stand there. Because it isn't the first person who joins you that makes it okay. It's when you get to person number three. Then you have a group, a tribe, a posse, a community, where all of a sudden you realize I, you are me. I am you. We, we are us. We can do this together. And it's just that staying power in, that, in, in being able to stand there uh, that we need to be able to teach more of that to young women who come into a profession like financial services. Cheryl, I have one more question, and uh, we've talked a lot about how you got into your leadership positions throughout your career, and that always requires a give and take for all of us uh, to manage our time and prioritize and so forth. How, how would you say you have managed your time over your career, and do you have any advice and strategies for a work-life balance? Yeah, so, and I think you cut out for a little bit there, but I think your question was how do I manage the time or what kind of strategies are we using for work-life balance is what yes. you, you mentioned. And so to that point, well, one, going back, I, I, I look for harmony and not balance because my tune's going to sound very different than yours. I, I, I function very well in high-stress movement going and somebody else may not. So you've got to find your, your song. You've got to find your harmony in there. But I would stress to anyone listening, for anything that you do in your day that takes up an enormous amount of time or frustration, there are tools in place, there is education in place to balance that. So for every person listening who is super frustrated with Zoom, find out how to actually use it. Grant yourself, gift yourself an hour to sit down and say, I am going to go through every one of these things and figure out how it works. Or I am so tired of filling out uh, the same form all the time. There's got to be an online way that will just fill in the exact same answers over and over, and hence there, there is. So that is how I've been able to manage my time. I use very effective tools, and then I – check to myself daily for my harmony to make sure that my song is still being sung and it feels sweet. And when it doesn't, then I know that I'm out of harmony and I need to stop and realize, okay, this is what's in my way and make that uh, change that up. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Cheryl, thank you. We've been talking today with Cheryl Hickerson, CEO of Females and Finance. And uh, Cheryl, I want to thank you very much for, for spending some time with us today and, uh, Best of luck with females in finance. It sounds like you're about to cross the 3,000 member threshold any any day, and uh, that's that's a huge accomplishment, and you should be congratulated. So thank you very much for spending some time with us. And thank you for uh, listening to all of this, and for everyone here. I believe your organization is just one of the best that's out there in financial services. So I applaud your work as well. Thank you very much. Today's episode of FSP Talks was brought to you by the Society of FSP and FSPGO.